This is Dr. Michael Walden. Thank you so much for joining me today on Ask the Blood Detective. For those of you new to the show, uh, I'm known as the Blood Detective. I have a uh, clinical nutrition practice uh, located in Westchester, New York, in Mount Kisco, which is located about an hour north of New York City. I lecture all over the United States and abroad to both uh, the lay public and also to uh, health professionals. For those of you who want to send me your show ideas, please do so. I've been getting so many great show topics, including today's, which is Hormones 101. Email me at info at blooddetective.com. You can also call me at 914-552-1442, and the website is www.blooddetective.com or integratednutritionny.com. So again, today's topic is Hormones 101. And for those of you that are not familiar with that acronym 101, we're talking about the basics. So we're going to cover a lot of fundamentals about hormones today in terms of how they're made, how they relate to one another, how the uh, environment, including uh, foods and nutritional supplements, uh, play upon our body's hormonal balance. There's a lot, there's quite a lot actually of misinformation out there, so I want to set the record straight. Plus, for those of you who would like additional information beyond today's show on hormones, you can go to my blog, again at www.integratednutritionny.com or blooddetective.com. The blogs are shared on those two websites. You can scroll down under the blog section and you'll find all of my radio shows, including nutritional endocrinology, which is a fancy way of saying nutrients and nutrition, both diet and supplements, do in fact affect hormone levels. What is, what's so astounding to me and what I've learned over the last nearly 28 years of doing what I'm doing in clinical nutrition and natural health is that there is, there's quite a bit of um, incorrect uh, information regarding hormones that we don't just hear from uh, traditional medicine, but is also found in natural medicine. I'll give you a quick example that, that's practical. Number one, this concept of natural hormones. Well, hormones in the body are natural, and any other hormones made outside the body are not natural. We can make hormones, as many of you know, from soy products and wild yam, but it's not like those food products have hormones in them, at least not the hormones that we need, let's say like progesterone and estrogen. What these plants do have are chemical structures, compounds, that do look very similar to human hormones. And because they look so similar molecularly, they can trick the body's hormone receptors into having weak hormonal effects or hormone blocking effects. Now, I need to make sure you understand this concept because this is really at the foundation of a lot of misunderstanding out there, again, both with the lay public and health professionals. I just mentioned that hormones have hormone receptors. So a receptor is just a fancy term for the place 
within which a hormone sits, kind of like a lock and a key. The lock on a door is the receptor. It receives the key. And the key is, as you guessed it, the hormone. Now, your natural body hormones are the key, and they can fit right into that door receptor. It's called lock and key concept. Now, a natural plant hormone, let's say a hormone that we derive, I'll say indirectly from wild yams and soy, I'll explain that in a minute, for, but for the moment, let's imagine we do get natural hormones from those foods. Think of the key you were just holding that fit perfectly in that lock. The key, the hormone that you would get from foods, is bent a little bit. It still fits in the lock, but not all the way. It just doesn't quite make it in. It might be 65% in, 75% in, but it's in enough that it might engage the key, the hormone might engage some of that lock so it opens just partially, but not quite enough. Now let's take this a step further. I just mentioned a minute ago how hormones can activate receptors or they might stimulate them a little bit. So if that natural key, that hormone, goes near the lock on the door and it just kind of hovers around it, it'll give it a little bit of, um, it'll fill that, fool that lock into thinking that it's partly the hormone. So it, it's kind of in, it's kind of not, it's kind of in, it's kind of not. So the body can act as if that sends a message when that natural hormone resonates outside of that lock, it activates receptors and mechanisms in the body that the body thinks, hey, there's some bit of a hormone out there, so I'll give some of those effects in the body. I might reduce hot flashes a little bit sometimes, maybe not all the time. I might block, uh, let's say, a um, the bad estrogen, estra, 17 beta estradiol that might cause cancer. Or, folks, that natural hormone, when it resonates, instead of doing those beneficial things I just mentioned, st stimulate and act as if they are the bad hormones. So instead of just resonating and doing, having a nice effect, the body can be fooled and that natural hormone key might act like a 17 beta estradiol or bad estrogen. So how do you know how hormones act in the body? Well, that is a very fair question. And the answer is you don't. It's up to a knowledgeable healthcare provider to look at Everything in your health history, your health concerns, your chemistries in your blood and urine and other tissue samples, and then to make a judgment call, also based on your diagnosis. For example, if you would have uh, breast cancer, you really would not necessarily want to take natural hormones from wild yam or soy. Some studies, and they're freely available at uh, pubmed.com, which is publishedmedicalarticles.com, clearly show that these so-called natural healthy hormones can worsen breast cancer. But hold on, I'm not finished. Some studies also, we're talking peer-reviewed studies found at the National Library of Medicine, well-done studies say just the opposite, that natural hormone sources from wild yam and soy can actually be protective against breast cancer before you have it, 
but also, I'll take this a step further, might actually reduce the aggressiveness of breast cancer once you have it. So because hormones can fit right into the lock and key very well, and because hormones might not fit so well, we get different effects in the body. I know that was not a particularly easy concept to get, but what I'm really saying is that natural hormones can have reverse effects in a person. Reverse effects mean reverse effects. They can have positive effects and they can have negative effects, the very same treatment. So whenever you are looking to improve your health and working with a healthcare provider, you need to be working with someone that knows about reverse effects. I'll be doing an entire show on reverse effects, how a certain amount of vitamin A, for example, improves vision and how a certain amount of vitamin A will cause blindness. That's an example of a reverse effect. Vitamin D, a certain amount is definitely anti-cancer, anti-cardiovascular disease, helps bone density, but another dose ruins bone density, can promote cancer by causing calcium accumulation in breast tissues, and can harden arteries because too much vitamin D causes too much calcium to be stored and uh, can then stick to the blood vessel walls. These are reverse effects. So I cannot, when people say to me, Dr. Wald, what do you think about the use of wild yam and soy, which is where most bioidentical hormones are derived from, should I use them or not? And I say, I don't know. I need you to fill out my detailed blood detective questionnaires. We need to sit and talk and look at the entire picture. But it is a complicated consideration, all of this, as you can now see. One other thing, and I mentioned this on my uh, nutritional endocrinology radio show that's up at the blog I mentioned on, on either of my websites, is that when it comes to hormones, testing of hormones in the saliva and in the blood or the urine can be very inaccurate. Yes, I am quite aware that there are a lot of claims by saliva labs that salivary hormone levels are reliable and that they are the best. I can tell you because of doing this type of work for nearly 28 years, including quite a lot of, of uh, saliva hormone levels several years ago, I determined that they are very inaccurate. In fact, I contacted a saliva hormone company. I said, listen, I want to do this research. The saliva hormone tests are too expensive. I need to, you to give them to me for a very nominal fee so I can do hundreds of tests. And that's what I did. And I looked at them all and I can tell you they're, they're not very useful. Many of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, I had concerns and my doctor predicted what my hormone levels might be. We did the saliva hormones and it was consistent or that taught us something. I'm not saying that you can't look at information and then glean some uh, knowledge about what to do next, but it's not necessarily uh, accurate. That's what I need to say. So when we are dealing with balancing hormones, how do we do that? Well, we deal with the entire body. So seeing, let's say, a holistic uh, OB or holistic gynecologist who knows nothing about the gut, nothing about the nervous system, the immune system, all of the other systems that work together is kind of silly. We need a truly holistic approach, a holistic mindedness. Therefore, you need to yourselves 
foster a holistic mindedness if, if you've not done so already and then work with a practitioner who also shares that and can look at all other body systems. Why? Well, if you have a problem with your nervous system, that, can have a, that could have been the thing that affected your poor uh, hormone balance. If you have a problem with your, your gastrointestinal tract, that will affect how you absorb foods or malabsorb foods and therefore will affect your hormone levels. If you have stress in your life, whether it's physical stress, emotional stress, electromagnetic stress, toxic stress, stress affects the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands stress the nervous system. Those factors change hormone levels. Do you get what I'm saying? A holistic approach is not just recommended. It has to be done in order to properly manage hormones. One other important point for now is that hormone levels in the blood might look low because the body says to itself, wait a second, I don't like that estrogen. I'm going to give this person hot flashes or dry skin and wrinkles and depression by reducing the estrogen and that will cause the receptor, the lock, to become resistive to the hormone. Here's what I'm saying. If you look at your blood test, you might have a high estrogen level, but your body may interpret it as low because the body says, I don't like that estrogen, so I'm going to become resistant. So then your body makes more of that estrogen, so the blood level looks high, but you're actually suffering from low, right? And on the other hand, if your hormone levels are low, it doesn't matter what the hormones are. Your body could be suffering from high levels because if the level is low in the blood or wherever else, your cell receptors might say, hey, there's not enough around here. I'm going to be super sensitive to that low level and get an effect that's either normal or even higher than normal. So looking at blood levels of hormones are not accurate. They're almost never accurate. They're so inaccurate, in fact, that even oncologists who deal with breast cancer and prostate cancer both involve problems with estrogen and probably testosterone. They don't even measure hormone levels. They know just to block them. So um, there's a lot of money wasted and a lot of time wasted and therefore efforts based on inaccurate hormone tests. So by looking at the entire body, looking at nutrient levels and tests of nutrient use and all the other body systems that are important in you, in a given individual, all of that information together lets, certainly lets me know what to do hormonally. So let's talk about some hormones in the body. So number one, there's growth hormone. So growth hormone can be injected. It's usually given in a what's called a tuberculin syringe, and it's injected usually in the stomach and in the fat tissue. And the thing about um, growth hormone is it's essential for uh, immunity and growth and, and lean body mass. And probably the most common cause of low growth hormone or condition would be failure to thrive in children. So these kids are born, and, and when they're around five, six, seven, someone determines that, you know, they're, they're a bit short. And then maybe the doctor, after doing several tests, there's a, several tests to, that must be positive in order for a prescription of growth hormone shots to be uh, recommended, is that that hormone would be injected on a daily basis and it can cause uh, diabetes in that child. But importantly, the br brain development is dependent on growth hormone. So growth hormone deficiency 
tends to cause in the kids that have it uh, poor uh, integrative neurointegration. Uh, they might cause any number of the special needs conditions that we see. And it's very easy for me, at least, to spot these uh, growth hormone deficient kids. They're not just smaller on average than others. They're a bit out of proportion. Their heads might be a little bigger than they should be. Their, their uh, legs might be a little shorter relative proportionately to their trunk. So you just, you just know it. And the blood levels might be low. But then a stress test of hormones against growth hormone against the drug is, is performed. But one can increase by improvements in the diet. That's the way I like to improve what's called endogenous growth hormone production, the growth hormone made in the body. So protein is critical for growth hormone production. They'll always be, in addition to the diet, if someone truly is growth hormone deficient, we'd want to give them veg, uh, vegetarian forms of protein. So I like giving protein in the form of pea and rice that's organic. That's a complete protein. Also extra arginine. Arginine is an amino acid that is a base molecule to make growth hormone. Arginine is needed for immunity and making nitric oxide, which we need for our circulation. Lots of benefits. Exercise simulates growth hormone production. As we age, our growth hormone levels tank. So even though I just mentioned an example of failure to thrive with growth hormone, a lot of adults have growth hormone deficiency. And folks, there is a condition known as adult onset growth hormone deficiency. And I have found this in several patients, uh, more than several patients over the uh, last 28 years or so that I've been practicing. And then stress of any type at all, infective stress, which is like Lyme disease or anything else, will deplete the body of growth hormone. And when you deplete the body of growth hormone, you deplete immunity, it's a whole cascade of adverse effects. Let's move over to a hormone called dihydrotestosterone. Dihydrotestosterone is uh, abbreviated DHT, and it's made from testosterone. Um, when the, the individual has testosterone, both men and women have testosterone, men have more, it's known as the male hormone, but women have it as well. Testosterone can be pushed into forming DHT, and this can cause prostate enlargement in men and baldness, uh, male pattern baldness in men, but also it can cause, and I've seen this, uh, loss of hair and poor quality of hair, nails, at teeth and skin in women. In fact, I'm astounded at how many women uh, that come to me and um, they're sitting across from my desk, we're having a conversation and I'm noticing their thinning hairline and areas of uh, loss of density of hair. And I say, so, so tell me about uh, you know, your dihydrotestosterone, your thyroid. Have you been working with anyone uh, about these problems? And they would say, commonly say to me, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, I'm just noticing your hair loss pattern. And, and they will say, oh, I've always had this. I said, well, then you've had problems with your hormones for a long time. And we should deal with this. And what's interesting is sometimes they'll have all kinds of other health problems, which are clearly from hormones. And when you put them all together, it's like, oh, that's DHT. So supplements like saw palmetto and other and, and lycopene and a lot of phytonutrients is so many. I give them in a a supplement that I call Detox One is a good tasting drink which contains um, over uh, 40 
different plant products that help to manage uh, the body from not forming excessive DHT. And in medicine, they use a medication called Avodart, A-V-O-D-A-R-T, which is the hormone blocker. And they'll use it in cancer too, cancer of the prostate and of the breast, any hormone-related cancers. The thing is that, of course, when you give these hormones, the person is suffering, women are suffering from hot flashes. Men, they're now impotent. It's, a, it's really horrible. Not to mention their whole sense of well-being is just affected because testosterone is a feel-good hormone. So without it, you're not growing lean muscle, you're not maintaining your lean muscle mass, you're gaining weight because muscle is uh, where fat is burned in the body. So one of the things, again, is supporting the liver, which is where some of this hormone is converted, but in, um, in men, also in the testicles themselves. So I look at the labs of individuals, I do a detailed intake, and I decide what nutrition the person needs overall. But yes, I make sure they get on a gram or two of salt palmetto and some salt palmetto synergists. Very, very, very important stuff. Let's talk about hormones from the top though. So when we're dealing with testosterone, which we just spoke about, and then there's another well-known hormone everyone knows, which is estrogen. And we really have three estrogens. We don't just have one estrogen. And then there's a pregnenolone and, and progesterone. All of these hormones come from somewhere. They're made from, what do you think? Right? Some of you got it. These hormones are made from cholesterol. So I'm a vegan. So I don't have animal products. So I have very little cholesterol intake. There's some natural cholesterol in different foods. But my liver, all everyone's liver makes cholesterol. You do not need cholesterol intake in your diet to make hormones. That's not even the best way to do it. So you have cholesterol at the top of the food chain. Think of it like above your head, Right? And then cholesterol forms pregnenolone, which forms progesterone, which forms testosterone, and testosterone forms an adrenal hormone called DHEA. You've all heard of that. And testosterone also forms all of the estrogens, estrone, estradiol, and estriol. They're also called E1, E2, and E3. My point in telling you this is not so you can memorize complex metabolic pathways, but there's different nutrients required for each of these steps so that the body knows how to regulate the types and amounts and friendliness of all of these hormones. So forming testosterone for improving immunity and sensible being and lowering cholesterol and heart disease is a friendly effect. But if someone's deficient, for example, in folic acid, in the lignins, in flaxseed oil, if they don't have enough cruciferous vegetables in their diet, if they don't have enough omega-3 fats like fish oil, that is a serious problem and hormones just don't form correctly. So the amount and types of each of those nutrients I match to the person's needs and their hormone symptoms usually abate. So cruciferous vegetables, the amount you'd have to eat would be the equivalent of three, four bowls every day. So that's not going to happen for almost anyone. So I instruct my patients to eat a certain way, which obviously is high in cruciferous vegetables, unless they have a thyroid problem. And then I give them supplements of concentrated forms of the cruciferous and other vegetables in my Detox 2 product, which is a drink. The folic acid, which is needed for lots of hormone balance, including 
the pathway I just mentioned from cholesterol to form all the other hormones in proper balance, we need the active form of folic acid, which is the methylated form. And we need flax seeds because they contain lignans. Lignans are type, is a type of a fiber. And it's a molecule that binds, it, it captures certain hormones in the colon so that they're not resorbed back into the body causing imbalances. Then omega-3s. Well, I, use, uh, I prefer to use krill oil as the omega-3. And omega-3s uh, have, they act as hormones and they, they help hormone balance in yet other ways. And then back to the cruciferous veggies for a minute. One of the most important elements in cruciferous vegetables that help uh, convert estrogens, the bad estrogen, the estradiol, into good estrogen because there are good estrogen, like estrone, is called indole-3-carbinol. And the other one, which many of you have heard of, called DIM, D-I-M. I always base the amount of nutrients on, of course, my 28 years of experience, the overall biochemistry of the patient, and finally, and ideally, by measuring a person's lean body mass, if I know a person's metabolic rate and what percentage of them is muscle, water, and fat, you can then base the doses of things based on that person. This is such a neglected area in natural healthcare not to mention regular medicine, that it's astounding to me. I mean, think about it. Do you think that your best friend needs the same nutrition as you might for your hormone balance? Do you think you need the same levels of exercise or stress reduction or sleep or doses of nutrients because of your different sizes? We all, or many of us are not getting the right doses. But it can be figured out. Let's talk about melatonin. One of my favorite things to talk about. Um, Melatonin, as you know, is made by the pineal gland. Okay, It's in the brain. And melatonin is very famously known for promoting sleep. And it does in some people. And in those people out there who say, no, it doesn't work for me. Realize that if you have a stressful life, if you are not going to bed at a regular time, waking up at a regular time, exercising at a regular time, and you don't have any real structure to your life, that's going to throw off your circadian rhythm, which is what is the hormonal rhythm that helps you go to sleep. But, you know, I just taught in Florida, in St. Lucie, Florida, at a symposium, a health symposium with hundreds of practitioners. I was one of a handful of speakers, and we spoke about what's called neuroplasticity. Neuro means nerve. Neuroplasticity means how the nervous, can, the nervous system, like the brain, can be affected by life. And how if it can be adversely affected too, and that creates illnesses like multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, dementia. Now, what does that have to do with melatonin? If you are not going to bed and waking up at the same time, you are teaching your brain to have a system that's all over the place. So since the nervous system is connected to the hormone system, which is connected to the etc., you're teaching your nervous system how not to work. So to think that melatonin alone would somehow overcome poor lifestyle habits, it's just not going to happen. By the way, an anti-cancer dose of melatonin on average is about 12 milligrams. You heard it right, 12 milligrams, because that's the dose that will 
increase the levels in the blood in both men and women, that, and it has very strong anti-cancer effects. So melatonin, as I said, is important for your sleep-wake cycle, super important for breast cancer and prostate cancer prevention and treatment. And by the way, prostate cancer and breast cancer are basically the same disease, but in men and women. So they're treated very similarly. Um, the other thing is that melatonin is known to improve depression, not in everyone, but in a lot of people, and overall mood in addition to the sleep quality. It helps irritable bowel, uh, irritable bowel syndrome as well. In IBS, and irritable bowel syndrome, there's generally low melatonin, and melatonin helps the body form serotonin. So serotonin is another feel-good hormone. It helps us sleep. It also calms us down. And serotonin is a painkiller. And it's not enough of serotonin is made in the colon in persons with IBS. There's a lot of serotonin that should be made in the colon. It's just that, in fact, more serotonin is made in the colon than in the brain. So that is the gut-brain connection right there, how serotonin acts in both areas. Very, very important. And obviously, melatonin has the potential of helping depression because a lot of depression is from low serotonin. So people take those medications, those SSRI drugs. SSRI stands for serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So these drugs keep serotonin around longer, increasing mood, putting a person to sleep better, and helping pain. I prefer to use melatonin than meds, medication, along with GABA. Gamma aminobutyric acid. GABA, which I have a combination synergistic formula of taken right at bedtime, along with melatonin at the same time, improves the, the benefits of melatonin many, many times. And again, those two combinations of melatonin and of GABA, GABA at about 200 milligrams, along with several nutritional synergists uh, like glycine and others that work well with it, uh, really, really help depression and really do help sleep and also for pain. Let's talk about thyroid hormones. This is a you know big one. Let's just get a few things straight. <laughs> Number one, for those of you uh, just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald and you're listening to Hormones 101. This is a basic overview, but an important overview of a lot of hormones in the body. We're trying to dispel myths and misinformation about hormones. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I'm the supervisor of nutritional services at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco, located in Mount Kisco, New York, an hour north of New York City. Some of you uh, have worked with me already and are working with me now over the phone. I've never even met you and others in person. I'm very grateful for that. I'm so happy to be of service. You can reach me at 914-552-1442. Better yet, email me at info, like information, at blooddetective.com. So in terms of thyroid testing, by the time you see abnormal thyroid hormone uh, changes on blood work, it's said that a person has to have lost about 40% of their thyroid hormones. So thyroid hormones are not accurate. What is a little more accurate is TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, which is not a thyroid hormone. It's an anterior pituitary hormone. If TSH levels, if thyroid stimulating hormones are high or on the high end of normal, which all the endocrinologists ignore, 
that implies that the thyroid hormones themselves are too low, even if their blood levels look normal. Okay? Remember, we talked earlier when we started the show about hormone receptors. There were hormone receptors for thyroid hormone. There were hormone receptors for melatonin and for uh, testosterone and dihydrotestosterone. Every hormone has a hormone receptor. Because of the, how hormone receptors become more and less sensitive, folks, they're like, they're like barometers in the blood. They, they taste the hormones and then they decide these receptors to become either more resistant to the hormone in the blood or, or, or less resistant. The body uses it differently and the levels in the blood may go in the opposite direction of what you think. So here's the thing. If you have brain fog, if your memory is not what it used to be, if you do not recall information or learn as well as you did, if your long-term memory is becoming shoddy, if your skin, hair, nails, and teeth are just not particularly healthy, if you have chronic health problems which are not uh, clearing up within a reasonable period of time, all of these are hypo or low thyroid symptoms. If you have depression, if you are on the constipated side, if you feel cold. So those are the classic things. If you're losing hair on your head, if you're losing hair on your eyebrows. Again, these are just some of the, of the, the, the signs and symptoms that I use to figure out if you have hormonal imbalances. So I use a very detailed hormone questionnaire. Then I use a whole body questionnaire. And then I review these with my patients so we get a lot of detail. And when you put all that together with the blood work and other chemistries, and again, not necessarily hormone blood testing, although I, there's some that I may do, that's how you put things together. So with thyroid hormone, we need a certain amount of iodine to uh, make thyroid hormone, but we know that most people now are using supplements like iodorol and they're overdosing on thyroid hormone. They're not only getting, they're not, not only not getting better, they're generally getting worse because when you overdo iodine, you cause inflammation of the thyroid. It's very bad. But in order for the body to make the active thyroid hormone, which is T3, remember there's T3 and T4 thyroid hormones? So T4 has to turn into T3. The four stands for four iodines attached to the T. And then when the body removes one of those, it becomes T3, which is many hundreds of times more potent than T4 in the body. But the body needs adequate vitamin D levels for that conversion. It needs the right selenium level. It needs the right vitamin B2 level. I put an ideal balance of those nutrients and other thyroid supports in my thyroid resuscitate product. The dose of that, though, would have to be based on laboratory work and my overall impression of what a person's needs are, okay? I should mention that heavy metals, they interfere with thyroid function. So I prefer a urine heavy metals test where we measure the levels of what are known as bound metals and free metals. Listen, it's not complicated. A free metal is swimming around. It's freed up to do damage. But if the liver makes a protein that binds and captures and holds on tight to that metal, that metal can't do anything. Most tests of metals, they do not distinguish between free and bound metals. So how are you going to figure out what the potential for damage is there? Well, you can't. So some of my colleagues just don't know about the proper testing, which is why I wrote a book for health professionals, which is 500 pages, called the Anti-Aging Encyclopedia 
of tests. I say in this book, for about 170 different tests, if the value is low, here's what that means medically and nutritionally. And here's the supplements to think about. If it's high, here's what to think about. I do that for 170 different tests. And we also might know that thyroid hormone production in the body can be blocked by what are known as goitrogen foods. Those are the cruciferous vegetables. So if we're going to eliminate or drastically reduce goitrogen foods, which are super anti-cancer foods, then we better be very careful to balance the rest of the diet. So let's get back to the whole concept of hormones in plants for a moment. Hormones in plants are known as phytohormones. Phyto means plant. They are not true hormones. And as I said at the beginning with my complicated explanation of the lock and key and the key being the hormone and the lock being the receptor and sometimes the key fits in the lock. And then we've all had the experience of sometimes you put a key in a lock and it doesn't quite fit. So hormones can either, or I should say so-called natural hormones can either mimic real hormones, fit right in the lock, or they can block it a little bit and resonate with that receptor and kind of give effects and then stop giving effects and kind of giving effects. So we need to be very careful when we're using the so-called the so-called natural hormones. You know, I failed to tell you something you may not know. When soy products and wild yams are used as the food sources to extract phytohormones or plant hormones, that's done in a laboratory. Okay, that's not done in nature. There is an enzyme that is needed in the lab to convert the so-called phytohormones in plants, which are not quite hormones, into true hormones. And human beings, women, men in their, our bodies, we don't have that enzyme. That enzyme does not exist. So we are using an artificial process to make so-called natural hormones. I just want to set the record straight. That doesn't mean that they that so-called natural hormones, which are not unnatural, do not have a place in healthcare. I believe that they do. I believe that they are safer or more safe than what we call in medicine synthetic hormones, which they don't deny that they make these hormones and they're very powerful at a lab. Then they're safer natural hormones simply because they're not nearly as potent. So we just need to know about these things. I would not suggest that natural hormones are given to children unless they have conditions of hormone deficiency. Then we want to think about that. If you give a child too, many, too much soy, for example, um, you can block their natural hormones partly or even fully, more or less, and can affect everything from their growth to their brain development. It's very serious. I, I almost never hear of the use of minimizing phytohormones in foods in children for special needs because there isn't a special needs condition that you can think of that does not involve hormonal imbalance on some level. And if someone has active cancer, I would not suggest that you give them natural hormones, okay? And also I see very often just, just the wrong situation happening. I had a woman who was on, was given progesterone for quite a while. And she and other women on, on average really do require a balance of the anti-cancer estrogen along with progesterone. 
if you give progesterone unopposed with estrogen, you can cause some serious health problems. So I don't really know why I, I see these issues as often as I do, but, but I do. So earlier we talked about dihydrotestosterone, which is a chemical made from testosterone. Let's just talk about testosterone for a quick moment. Testosterone is an anabolic steroid. As a growth hormone is, they promote the growth of muscle on the body and they cause uh, burning of fat and lowering of blood lipids or fats. They improve athletic performance, reaction time, focus, healing time, which is why they're illegal in uh, Olympic uh, athletes and uh, Olympic competitions and other forms of competition. However, they're used commonly in these competitions because these athletes are super smart and they know how to fool the tests. So, but what we need to know about testosterone is that if it is low, that usually means there's immune deficiency. It, we never want to give testosterone to anyone with any cancers or anyone with a cancer history. We do not want to give it to someone with prostate enlargement. There is controversy around the whole prostate enlargement and testosterone, but if there's if there's controversy, why risk it? There's other nutritional and natural things we can do through diet, lifestyle, and nutritional supplements to manage both low and high testosterone. If testosterone is high, saw palmetto in the right doses, not some low dose, can block excessive production. And deficiency of testosterone we know is associated with heart disease. So let's move on to hormone replacement therapy for a quick second. So HRT, hormone replacement therapy, is not hormone replacement therapy. It's hormone substitution therapy. When a doctor writes a script for hormone replacement therapy for, uh, let's say, a woman, they are not giving them, they're not replacing their natural biological hormones. They're giving them synthetic hormones. So I, like, I call it what it is. It's hormone substitution therapy. And we know that that's a disaster in terms of cancer. Birth control pills, when birth control pills were introduced in the 50s, they were only meant and studied over a few weeks with women. Now there are women taking these things their entire lives for everything from polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS to, you know, hot flashes and menstrual issues and pimples and, all, and, and, and abdominal cramps, intestinal cramps. Uh, so these, these are dangerous, dangerous uh, ways of taking hormones. So, and if a woman has to take these hormones, for some reason, there's just no other way to manage issues, well, that means we need, I need to do a much better job of managing nutrition so that the person can get the benefits they need and can seem to be getting from natural health, but balancing nutrition properly. But most of the time, I would say in my experience, uh, it is possible to avoid uh, these hormones, whether they're bioidentical or which are synthetic or the truly synthetic ones. When I say that, I mean birth control pills and HRT or hormone replacement therapy. We need these hormones. We cannot live well without them. We need hormones for growth and repair of tissues. All of the hormones, folks, they work in concert with one another. It's not like you measure estrogen or testosterone or progesterone in the blood or the, the saliva and somehow that hormone was compartmentalized. It's not like hanging out with the other hormones. Um, we test it and if we only test that, we're looking at that. But just the testing of only that is very, very misleading because it seems as if 
the other hormones are they're just not in the picture. So in reality, think of, of hormones as a, a hormone soup. All the hormones are in there. If you remove or change the level of any one of those, what do you do? You affect the entire soup. So hormones do work in concert with other hormones. They're affected by what you eat, what you don't eat, what you absorb, what you don't absorb, what supplements you take, what supplements you do not take, your genetics, your lifestyle habits like your sleep, your stress, uh, and other factors. The nervous system tell is partly the seat of where hormones are produced or at least where hormone um, modifiers are produced. So the anterior pituitary gland, part of the nervous system, secretes all kinds of chemicals which uh, promote hormone uh, production and regulation in the body. Your metabolism. Whenever we're dealing with hormones, we must always think about the fact that hormones are partly metabolized in the intestinal tract and the liver and also in the testes and the ovaries and the adrenal glands and in other areas of the body wherever they're used. So think about what I just said. As the gut is doing its thing and the liver is doing its thing and all the tissues are using hormones more or less and all this stuff is happening at the same time, there's some sort of balance overall or there's not in most people. I mean, air pollution, radiation, all, so many things of medications affect hormones, even when they're not hormonal medications. So one of the key things that I do is I do detailed analysis of the person's metabolism. Because if a person is malabsorbing, for example, their hormones are going to be screwed up. And we need proper hormone balance for protection against disease. We want to avoid excessive hormone levels and imbalanced hormone levels. We must use hormones to properly manage our sleep because if we're not sleeping, we're not repairing much of anything. And the number one cause of death uh, and disability in men and women is heart disease. And hormone imbalance of, a, of many types do either directly or indirectly affect cardiovascular risk. So just know that if you have low testosterone or low normal, you have a higher cardiovascular risk. Uh, low estrogens might be good for protecting you against certain cancers like ovarian and breast cancer, but it increases your cardiovascular risk and your risk of dementia. We can go on. We're talking about weight gain and brittle skin, hair and nails. I've said that a few times. Vaginal dryness, wrinkles, prostate enlargement, forgetfulness, fatigue, uh, loss of muscle tone and shape, uh, bone loss, poor inflammation control. And once that happens, I mean, all hell breaks loose. Autoimmune diseases, so much influence that the hormones have upon all of our body systems. If we balance the hormones correctly, we reduce our disease risk. We can control our weight better. We can improve our memory. We can increase our overall sense of well-being. We can increase our lifespan potentially, but as, much, as importantly as time is that we can increase what's known as the active stage of life, the non-disability stage of life, which means you want to be more productive for longer. And that can happen and really cannot happen unless you balance hormones. And I've said also a couple of times that immunity is uh, directly affected by hormone imbalance. So... Just as a recap, what causes hormonal imbalance? Here's just a few things. How you age. 
Most people are not aging very well. Fitness. If you we don't uh, maintain regular exercise, hormones can become very chaotic. There are what are known as xenoestrogens. Xenoestrogens sounds like something from out of space in our environment. We're all breathing this stuff in all day long. Xenoestrogens are estrogens that are produced from industrial outpouring of gases, you know, into the environment that gets in our water, it's in our air, it gets in our food. And the problem, many problems with these xenoestrogens is that they are not just hundreds of times more potent than the estrogens in our bodies. They're thousands of times more potent and disease-promoting. The proper nutrition, particularly the phytonutrients and things like what are called polyphenols like resveratrol and and other plant products like quercetin. But there's about 70 or so that I balance in a powder form that can be, you know, just drank throughout the day. It needs to be consumed throughout the day because we're exposed to xenoestrogens from plastics and from all sorts of other, I mean, even wearing rubber-soled sneakers and shoes release these toxic xenoestrogens in the, in the environment. You know, we walk around and we, we uh, chafe the bottom of our, the plastics on the bottom of our shoes. We walk in our house. We walk all around the house. And then we get all these chemicals in the carpet or on the, on the floor. And then they get, you know, air moves around. The stuff gets pushed all over the place. We're breathing it in. Kids are crawling on the floor. It's really bad. It's really bad. Plus toxins, other toxins, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, heavy metals, these are known as hormone disruptors, really bad stuff. And there are a number of diseases that, uh, that involve hormonal imbalance that must be managed very specifically. When I approach a patient, <clears throat> what I do, what I think it's best is I am mindful of a certain, let's say, nutritional protocol for, let's say, breast cancer or PCOS or fibromyalgia, or chronic fatigue syndrome, or ovarian cancer, or uh, um, perimenopause, or any, any hormonal issue, we go through detailed questionnaires. We go through detailed lab. I look at f- basic protocols that are generally suggested for these things, but when you open up a book and you look up in the hormone imbalance section and it says, take these for this condition, that book, that author doesn't know you. That might be all completely wrong or what is almost always wrong that I see when people see me and they come in with these big bags of nutrients, they're taking so many conflicting nutrients. They have no idea what's being absorbed and used and it's decades they've been doing this. It doesn't have to be that much of a waste of time. So diseases of any type, even if they didn't start as hormonal problems, always result in, a, in hormonal problems. There is, for example, Lyme disease or any kind of infection as just one example. The stress of that upon the nervous system also translates into issues with the hormonal system and the digestive system. It's just a, that's why holistic thinking must be practiced. It can't just be talked about. It has to be put into practice. So how do we know about hormones? We look at the whole person. Yeah, maybe. We might, depending on the condition. We might look at a blood level. We might look at a saliva level. We might look at a urine level. But maybe not. We want to look at the diet. We want to clean it up. We want, we want no processed and refined foods whatsoever. We want a minimum of five pieces of fruits per day and veggies per day. 
or better yet, about 75, which you can get in my detox one, two, three, and four powders, which if anyone that sees me that has hormonal issues, I put them on my detox one, two, three, and four. I put them on my DIM product. I have them take GABA and melatonin at night, and then I adjust those doses for them. I might start at the levels on the bottles, but then it needs to get personal. It needs to get individualized. So that, that deserves a conversation. Water intake must be proper. I prefer reverse osmosis water, so we're starting clean. Medications, we have to consider how medications affect metabolism. They may affect the same metabolic pathways as these hormones. We have to get the nutritional supplements right, including the omega-3 fatty acids. I like the krill oil. We have to get some sort of an exercise program in plan. I commonly make exercise programs for people that they can do in their home because if it's not doable, then they're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Let's be honest. We need to optimize the diet, not just in the general sense of what I just said, eat fruits and veggies every day, don't eat GMO foods and gluten foods and don't eat processed foods and eat closer to a vegan. That's all great. But you have your specific dietary needs and we need to figure those out. We need to reduce stress and we need to manage sleep. So there are all kinds of nutrients and herbs that we need to consider for hormonal supplementation, but they need to be based for each person. Sometimes I will use glandular tissues like adrenal glandular or thyroid glandular or ovarian glandular for people, but sometimes that's inappropriate because those glandulars might trigger autoimmune problems in people or they might help them. DHEA could be great for one person for increasing strength and memory and improving immunity, but in a, in a woman with too high estradiol, DHEA can produce estradiol, so that could be devastatingly wrong. Arginine, we talked about that making growth hormone, very, very important, and al along with amino acids and proteins in the diet, but there are a few conditions where arginine might not be warranted. For example, there are problems with nitric oxide levels in breast cancer and several cancers. We don't want to promote nitric oxide excess by giving arginine, but sometimes people need arginine to lower their blood pressure and make more growth hormone. Maybe we would consider, maybe I would consider ginseng for you. Maybe I want to boost your adrenal glands with ginseng. Well, we need to make sure the dose is right because ginseng is not very well absorbed. So the dosing need, needs to be appropriate. And what about licorice? Licorice is one of my favorite things, except not everyone should get it. Should I use licorice with a person's condition or should I use deglycerinated licorice? That's a form, deglycerinated, you use for ulcers and inflammation of the gastrointestinal tract. Or I might use licorice itself when I want to boost the adrenal function, tonify the adrenals because licorice like ginseng are adaptogens. They do help balance things out, but they can also screw up balance if they're not used right. If you take too much licorice, you cause what's known as a hyperaldosteronism. It increases the aldosterone in the body, which can elevate the blood pressure very dangerously. And then there's niacin, which is B3 which helps lower cholesterol. But if I lower too much and cholesterol makes pregnenolone, which makes progesterone, which makes testosterone, which makes estrogen and DHEA, you can now see that if we lower the cholesterol too much, that could adversely affect, negatively affect hormone production. Even a simple mineral like chromium. Chromium is super important for blood sugar. Blood sugar 
doesn't just go up and down on its own. It does that based on hormones like insulin and glucagon balance. If you give too much chromium or too much of a special B vitamin known as lipoic acid, we could adversely affect one's blood sugar by causing hypoglycemia, which stresses the body out in yet other ways. And cortisol, another stress hormone, might increase. So look, I'm not trying to scare you here. I'm trying to point out that nutrition is powerful stuff. It, I accredit nutrition for curing my multiple sclerosis. I am a 52-year-old man that is super fit. And uh, in fact, in a few moments after this radio show, I'm going to go work out with my 16-year-old son who is a, a natural bodybuilder. And I'm super proud of him. And I can hang with him, you know, uh, a little. <laughs> My point is this. The possibilities in terms of natural health care and the use of nutrition are, are almost endless. We just need to use it right. Is it confusing? Of course it's confusing for some of us. There are some of us like myself that specialize in this. It is, a, it is like anything else in life that you focus on, you get better at. And sometimes you need to have help. So what I'd like you to do is maybe listen to the show again. Go to my website at www.integratednutritionny.com and look under the blog section. You'll see all the shows. You could also go to the radio station archives. Please email me your topics. I love the topics. You guys and gals have been fabulous about sending me wonderful topics. Email me at info at blooddetective.com. And if some of you would like to work with me, it would be my pleasure to work with you. I can work with you over phone or I can work with you face-to-face. So give me a call. I will answer the phone. A lot of you call and you're shocked that I pick up the phone. I deal with my the people that work with me one-on-one. I respect that, that, uh, that relationship and I don't want anyone or any other thing interfering with that. So you'll be working with me. So call me at 914-552-1442. And lastly, if you'd like my detailed hormone checklist sheet, it's a hormone questionnaire. You simply check off various symptoms in different areas on the sheet. And then when you're done, it'll help focus you in on how we would need to rebalance your hormones. Now, a questionnaire, so email me at info at blooddetective.com and just say, Dr. Wald, please send me your hormone questionnaire and I'll send you that. So this is for your education, just like this entire show is. You shouldn't necessarily begin trying a bunch of different things, whether they're natural or not, without some sort of guidance, without some sort of plan and action and way of which to monitor yourself properly. So use the questionnaire because I designed it so that you can really, it'll really help point out where your weaknesses are, okay? And I will talk to you very soon and I'm not going to tell you what the next show topic is because I don't know yet. So tell me what you want to hear and we'll make it happen. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Dr. Michael Wald and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Too late.